God, I thank you for that truth today. I thank you that no matter what we're going through, no matter what we can't see or, or the pain or the brokenness or the darkness that feels all around us, God, that we know today that you are in it and you are with us. We are not alone. That you see a path forward and you will redeem our pain. That our pain with you is never wasted. I thank you for that truth today. I thank you for those who are here today and they're not really sure why. They just came to church. I pray that today they would find something, that they would maybe meet you for the very first time, that maybe they would find hope in a season of darkness, that they would maybe be encouraged today. But God, I love that you are still working today just like you were in days of old the same yesterday, today, and forever, and we can claim your promises as truth today. Thank you, God, for who you are, that you truly go before us. It's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we ask it. Amen. You may be seated. As I think about Thanksgiving, that is probably, when I think about my faith and my walk with Jesus, that might be what I'm most thankful for is that he is still moving, that he is still working. And that line in that song, it's like, even when I don't see it, you're working, even when I don't feel it. When you believe that God's working and moving, even when you don't see it, that's really faith, if you break it down. It's trusting that he's in control. It's trusting that he's guiding your steps. It's trusting that he is sovereign, that he has got this, and that he can be trusted. I love that picture. And today we're starting a brand new series called Brave, and it's all about glimpses from the book of Acts about people who stepped into moments, stepped into really available times that God, situations that God crafted for them to step into, and they were willing to do it bravely. And as we do it, we're going to hear stories from some of our global partners who are doing this today around the world. It's super inspiring and super powerful. Now, I'm going to tell you a story from my life, but I want you to hear this in the right way. This is not a story about my incredible generosity. This is not meant to be taken that way. This is more than anything just a story that felt like it lined up the most with where we're going today. I don't know if I've told you this before. I'm getting old. I don't remember what I've said anymore. Uh, I don't think I've told you this, but if I have, just roll with me. If I haven't, e either way, pretend like you haven't heard it. How's that? Uh, but a few years ago, in 2015, my sweet wife, Angela, we were living in New York State. We had bought the house next door to her parents. She was truly living her best life. And uh, we were driving an old, kind of broken down 2001 Honda Odyssey minivan. But anyone who knows out there, the thing was still running. I mean, door panels were flapping in the breeze, but that engine was still going. And uh, she shared with me her dream car was just a nicer minivan. So that's... That's pretty awesome that I've married into that kind of a, of a deal there. So very, very attainable dreams, which is great. Um, and so we started looking at different vans. And I found one that seemed to be everything we were looking for. And so we went down to the dealership and we drove our existing minivan, which honestly just, I mean, the inside back panel of the, of the flip-up door had fallen off and there was some wire. It was just, it was... Everything still worked, sort of, but it was a little bit dangerous. And so uh, we weren't intending to buy the van that day, but as the conversation went on and, and we realized that there was kind of an opportunity, we were like, okay, well, maybe we should think about pulling the trigger. And the guy's like, well, do you have a trade-in? I'm like, yeah, I do. 
But go look at it, and don't look at it for what it is. Look at it for maybe what it could be. You know, look past all of the little dolls and, and, and Happy Meal boxes and stuff in the back. We did not prepare this for the assessment at all. It was just sort of like a Tuesday we drove down. And so the guy went out and looked at it, and he came back inside. He's like, all right, man, I'll give you 500 bucks. I was like, whoa, 500 bucks, sweet mercy. It's got to be worth more than that. It still operates. So whatever. We, we went through the rest of the negotiations. We get to the very end, and every time he's, like, starting to write up the deal, I could tell he's like, yeah, and then I'm giving you 500 for your vehicle. Like, his voice just fell. You can tell he didn't really want to, but it was something he just felt like he needed to do. And so in the 11th hour of the final negotiation, as we're, like, finishing out this deal, I said, hey, I have a question for you. He's like, yeah. I said, I feel like you're giving me money for that van, but you're not really feeling like it's worth the effort. He's like, that's very true. I said, is there any chance that, like, you could still give me the $500, but I'll just keep the van? Which, bold, I know, but we're, and he's like, that's a great idea. Let's do that. So I'm like, sweet. So I kept the van, got the trade-in value for it, which actually might have been more accurate than I realized, and I drove home. And, and as I was talking to Angela the next day, she's like, well, are we going to sell that van now? I'm like, you know what? I think maybe we should just keep our eyes open to give it away to someone who might need it. She's like, wow, are you sure? I was like, yeah, maybe. You know, it's not great, but it works. And so a few days later, I'm at church, and our youth pastor that was on staff with me at this little church in New York, he and his wife had four children, one vehicle, and then he had like this little old school motorcycle dirt bike that he rode around town. And they were managing just fine, and then one day he came up to me, and we were just talking. Nobody knew this little deal. I hadn't told anybody this except for my wife about this extra van. And so I just was kind of like, I said, Ange, let's just pray together and keep our eyes open to see if there's someone who might need it. So sure enough, that Sunday, my youth pastor comes up to me, and I'm like, hey, how are you doing? He's like, ah, I'm good. He's like, I just got to figure out a ride because my little motorcycle died. (laughs) And uh, that was how I was getting to this other side job that he had. And I was like, wow, that's interesting. So it's no good, huh? He's like, yep. I'm like, you need a vehicle, huh? He's like, yeah. I was like, well, hey. And I had the keys. I said, here you go. He's like, "What, what are you doing? I'm like, this is yours. And I told him the story, and I was like, I believe that God wants me to give you this van, so enjoy it. It's not great, but it still runs, and it's awesome. And he's like, wow, thank you so much. And I can't tell you the joy that gave me. For something so simple and small, just living with that expectancy and that nudge of God to be able to just step into it and meet the need, there was something really awesome in that. So that day I came home from church, and my father called me. This is 2015. And my dad opened the call with this following statement. He said, God told me, and then told me the rest of the sentence. God told me. I'd never heard him say that before. Like, it was a really interesting opening to a conversation. I'm like, he's like, Cliff, God told me something to tell you. I'm like, what is it, Dad? He's like, God told me to tell you that I'm supposed to give you my Mercedes. (laughs) Oh, one Honda Odyssey with questionable integrity to very high integrity, S-class, formatic, all this fancy stuff. I'm like, whoa, dad, you never drive that. It sits in your garage with a, with a cover on it and a trickle charger. And like, he drove it like 1,500 miles in four years. This was like his baby. I'm like, are you sure? Like, and he's like, I'm sure. When can you come and get it? I'm like, I don't even know what's happening right now. Awesome. As soon as I can. So I made arrangements to go get it. Got the car, brought it back. And Angel's like, great, now we can sell our Honda Accord that you've been driving, a 2002 with a ton of miles, but still functional. Not good looking, but functional. And, and I'm like, you know what, babe? Ah, I just feel like something's happening here. Like, maybe we're supposed to give that away too. 
and I'm not the generous one. She is. She's like, what happened? Did you hit your head or something weird go on? I'm like, I don't know. I just feel like we need to be willing to give that away. To who? I don't know. But some, something's going to happen. And so we're praying and we're praying and we're praying and we're waiting and waiting and waiting for the moment, for the nudge. Have you ever lived with that level of expectancy? Where like you go into a day and you're like, okay, God, maybe today's the day that I get to do this thing. I feel like in that story, and I'm going to make you wait for what happened next for a little while, but I feel like in that story, there, there, it's a beautiful description of what we learned in Ephesians 2.10. Now, for some of you, you're like, my goodness, this guy quotes this verse every single week. That's kind of true. I love this verse. It's my life verse. For anyone who's taking your strengths finder test, this is the futuristic verse. It's right here. I'm number one futuristic, so this is my life verse. For we are God's handiwork, other translations say workmanship or masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. There are moments waiting for us. There are opportunities. There are situations. There are people. It might be the place that God has you. It might be the job he has you. And it might be the people that you come in contact with, the friends, the moments. It could be seemingly random. But these moments are awaiting us. I love to live that because when you put this into practice, you say, okay, well, God has done something in my life. He's created me in a certain way, and there's moments awaiting me that I get to step into. It changes how you live it. It makes you live with your eyes wide open, looking for these moments that are to come. And I love this because when you live this way, people are thrown off a little bit. People don't know what to do with it. Another one of my favorite verses that I, that I love to share with you today is 1 Peter 3, 15. Now, some of us know this verse, but we know in some ways this verse has an A, a B, and a C to it. A lot of us have heard, if you have a church background, part B, the middle. Always be prepared to give an answer for the, to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. That's sort of like the foundational verse for the apologetics movement or kind of being able to defend your faith. That's true. That's in there. But there's an A and there's a C. Because A says, but in your hearts, revere or set apart Christ as Lord. In other words, if you live with Jesus as your Lord or your King, then you live differently. And as you're living differently, people see you living differently. And that lifestyle prompts what? If you're being, if you're being, uh, if you're being forced to give an answer, what's taking place first? A question. So someone's watching how you live, and they're saying, there's something about you. So when you live with Christ as your Lord, then you better be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give you the reason for the hope that you have, because you live with hope in Jesus. But I love this last part. Boy, wouldn't this last part be great in our culture right now? Man, when was the last time that a dialogue took place in, with gentleness and respect? Even in the area of religion, when's the last time you stumbled upon a Facebook discussion of faith and you saw gentleness and respect would be the words you'd describe of that conversation. But do this with gentleness and respect. I love that, that picture. When you live with Jesus as your king, you live differently. And when you live that way, you have hope. And when you have hope, it makes people ask you a question. What I love too is, oftentimes, this is creating a scenario in which there's a dialogue. There's a conversation where they're asking you questions and you're giving answers. As opposed to sometimes we are asking the questions and giving the answers. There's a monologue taking place. 
instead of allowing our lives to point people to Jesus and get the questions out, we monologue. This, these two verses I want to lay down as a groundwork for where we're going today in the message. Because where we are in the story in the book of Acts, at the end of Matthew, Jesus, after dying on the cross, raising himself from the grave three days later, and then spending 40 days with his disciples and many others, teaching and preparing them, then Jesus goes to the top of a mountain and gives them the great commission. We talked about it last week at our baptism service. He says, go into all the world. Preach the gospel, teach them to obey, baptize them, and I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. There's also then, he also says something very powerful in Acts 1 verse 8, which says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. So Jesus says this, and then it says that he ascended up into heaven. And the disciples were staring at the sky, waiting for him to come back, not sure what they're seeing, so much so that the angels are like, what are you doing? Why are you staring at the sky? Go back to Jerusalem. Go. He told you what to do. So the disciples go back to Jerusalem, and they're, uh, they're in the upper room, and they're praying. And on the day of Pentecost, a day in which between 250,000 and a million devout Jews from around the world would have been packed into Jerusalem for this very major festival, in that moment, as they're praying at about nine in the morning, the Spirit of God falls on the disciples, and it looks like tongues of fire, and they're speaking in tongues, which were intelligible foreign languages. So much so that people heard it, and they're like, what's wrong? Are you guys drunk? Like, we're not drunk. It's only 9 a.m. It's not St. Patrick's Day, or, and I'm not pre-gaming for a Michigan game. Maybe yesterday was more after the game. I don't know what else to say. It was rough. Um, Anyway, so this moment happens, and then Peter stands up in that moment and says, we're not drunk, and then Peter preaches the message in Acts 2 that changes human history. And it says, after he preached this message, the people who heard it were cut to the heart and said, what should we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. And 3,000 gave their lives to Jesus and were baptized that day. And the church starts to grow bigger and bigger and bigger, and every day they're learning and they're growing, and they're bigger and they're learning and they're growing. And then the disciples are overwhelmed with all of their duties and all their responsibilities, all the things they actually need to do. And so in Acts chapter 6, they choose seven men from among them, full of the Holy Spirit, full of good reputation, and full of wisdom. Among them was a man named Stephen. Among them was a man named Philip. In Acts 7, you have Stephen standing up in front of the Sanhedrin and preaching the gospel, and they're so angry at him that they drag him outside the city and stone him to death. When that happens persecution broke out against the early church and they started to spread out and the gospel spread as they were leaving that's where we are in the story is that the church is now being dispersed by persecution that's where we are in the story where we are in the service is we're going to receive our morning offering uh, yesterday or two days ago was Black Friday tomorrow is Cyber Monday does anyone know what Tuesday is? Giving Tuesday, that's kind of cool how that got worked in there. I don't know when, when we got that in the mix, but Giving Tuesday is a time once a year where in the middle of a season in which a lot of money is being spent, it's a time to refocus and give to things that, that maybe matter a little bit more. And so we want to encourage you as you think about Giving Tuesday um, to think of a, if Kensington's made a difference in your life 
and you've been impacted by the ministry here to think about maybe making a gift to Kensington on Giving Tuesday, uh, just to put that in your mind. Also, this, this time of offering is an amazing time we take each week to give back to God for what he's given to us. And so if you uh, don't carry a checkbook or don't have cash on you, we understand that. It's very normal for this time in our technological advancement. So we make it easy with a couple different ways to give, either through our website, through our app, or there's even a text to give option. So we appreciate your generosity. Our ushers are going to go ahead and come down. And when you come down, just go ahead and start uh, receiving the morning offering. And I'm just going to keep rolling while you guys are going. So that's where we are, and, and that brings us up to Acts chapter 8. And in Acts chapter 8, you've got the story of the church is spreading out. And it says, very interestingly, it says, as they went, Acts chapter 8, verse 4, it says, those who had been scattered, being the church, preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And so there was great joy in that city. What I love about this is, number one, Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which is where the story begins. And then in Judea, and it says, as they were leaving Jerusalem into the larger area of Judea, they kept sharing their faith. And now we've got someone entering Samaria. Now, anyone familiar with the parable of the Good Samaritan? We've all heard that, right? At time, even, even outside of church tradition, we know that. Many hospitals have been named after that. There's a large nonprofit out there called Samaritan's Purse. Samaritans in our day and age has a very positive, positive reputation. It's a great word. If someone says, oh man, you're such a Samaritan, you're like, Thanks? I th that's a good thing, I think. That means I'm generous. Pharisee hasn't been treated quite the same way. Um, that's not a great term. So if someone's been calling you a Pharisee, they're not complimenting you at all. Um, and so the Samaritans at this time, though, if you look at Jesus' time when he was walking the earth with his disciples, they had a very difficult relationship with Samaria. In fact, most Jewish people walked all the way around Samaria to get to Jerusalem because they did not want to cut through this despised town. There was animosity, there was anger, there was a lot of bitterness between these two people groups. And yet in Jesus' own great commission, he says Samaria. So somebody's got to go. So when all of these people are leaving Jerusalem and spreading out with the gospel to the ends of the earth, one person that we know of went straight into the place no one else wanted to go to. Philip, one of the seven deacons chosen, walked straight into Samaria, started preaching the gospel of Jesus, started doing miracles, because again, he was full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, full of good reputation. And what happened in Samaria? I mean, this is the same place that James and John, a few chapters earlier, said, hey, Jesus, can we call down fire and burn up this city? I mean, th there was a lot of animosity. And yet here, Philip has an incredible impact. The response of the Samaritan people is huge. He's winning. His ministry is exploding. He's planted a church of sorts in the area no one can reach, and it's exploding. As Josh was talking earlier, this is a mountaintop spiritual moment for him. He is reaching the people that no one else could reach or even wanted to reach. So he's there crushing it, so much so that Peter and John were dispatched from Jerusalem to go check on the work that's happening in Samaria. So now Philip's getting noticed by the big bosses. 
His work is getting up there. So you would think, leave Philip in Samaria. The guy's doing what no one else could do. But that's not how God works, is it? He's on this mountaintop moment, and look what happens in verse 26. So an angel of the Lord came to Philip and said, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. Now, what I love about this, and back to verse 26, what I think is so interesting is that he doesn't give him a lot of details. He just says, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down to Jerusalem. And what I love is he doesn't talk back. He doesn't ask any clarifying questions. Wait, 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 which road? The desert road. But I've got this thing going on here. Well, who's going to take my Spiga Bible study in a few hours? We've got a healing service happening. Like, we're crushing it here in Samaria. Why? He doesn't ask why. He just says, okay. And in fact, he just goes. So he started out. And on his way, he met this Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury. So here's this man from Ethiopia, eunuch. It's got kind of a double meaning. One meaning is that he has no reproductive future. Can I say it that way? awesome. The other side of it is that he was a court official, very important, high-ranking, in charge of the treasury. Here's, here's your, your secretary of the treasury is here. He's an important guy, and he's riding on this desert road. In the original Greek, it mentions it's at noon, so it's the heat of the day, 100 plus degrees. If you've been in this part of Israel, you know that at noon it can get really hot. And so Philip follows God's the, the angel's prompting goes to this spot and he's standing there and someone just so happens to be rolling by. And what's he doing? He's reading a scroll, a scroll of Isaiah. And what's interesting about this is like, we got to remember what year this is. This is like AD 33-ish, 35-ish, somewhere in there. So this is not bound and printed. They had handwritten scrolls. And the scroll that he had, if it was indeed the scroll of Isaiah, what scripture says, could have been up to 145 feet long if it was rolled out. Now, I asked Kyle Kaufman how far the span of this stage is. <clears throat> he said 55 feet. I'm like, wow, I was way off. In my mind, I wrote, I wonder how big the stage is. Maybe that's 155 feet. So you could tell how good I am at estimating anything. But picture three times this long if it was all rolled out. So giant scroll, handwritten. He's reading this. This guy's really searching. He's reading in the chariot. And what I love is the angel says, hey, go and stand near the chariot. And it says that he ran. Is there anything scarier in the world than a grown man running towards you? I mean, seriously, if I was just running towards you, I think most of you'd be like, something's wrong. Either he's late for his plane or something's gone horribly wrong. Like there's a certain age where grown men stop running. The only thing worse than a grown man running is a grown man screaming. A man's scream is the most unsettling sound that our planet can produce as far as I know. So he's running towards him. Now this guy's in the chariot. I'd be a little freaked out. I'm in the middle of the desert and a man's running towards me. Especially when you factor in it's dangerous. There's bandits. It's a great place to get robbed. 
And all this is happening. And then it, the angel just tells him to go. I love it. The angel first says, just go to this road, and then just go and stand near the chariot. So he goes, and he runs there, and he gets there, and he stops. And as he's standing there, he hears him reading. And I love it. He goes, do you know what you're reading? Do you understand that? And what I love is he says in verse 31, how can I unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So I'm trying to do like the equivalent here. Again, no one wants to see me run, least of all me. I'm, I'm, I'm wearing a shirt that wasn't this tight on Wednesday. Can I get a witness out there? I put it on. I was like, whoa, man, time to get back on that weird diet I've been doing for on and off for like 20 years. Anyway, so he, he runs. We'll do the slow-mo version. He runs over, and then he just, I just picture this thing rolling. He's just kind of like, hey, what you reading? I mean, it's just like the most awkward, funny moment. Do you know what you're reading? Do you get it? Well, how could I unless someone tells me? He says, hop in. So he jumps in. And, and what I love is what happens next. Is that, the, first of all, the angel didn't tell him what to say. You notice that? He says, just go over there. He knew. Why? Because he knew Acts 1.8. He knew the bigger mission was to tell the gospel to everyone you encounter. So it's more like the angel's like, hey, get in this spot. Go there and do what you do. So he went over there. He gets into this chariot. Now he's riding with him. But I love too is that he doesn't say, okay, thanks for inviting me. Let me start my presentation about the multi-level Christian marketing plan I have to present to you today. Would you like to make more money on the side? Of course. We all do. He doesn't do that. In fact, he starts right where the question is. He starts right in the moment where the guy says, hey, I don't know. What's this all about? Verse 34, the eunuch said to him, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Because just before that, he reads from Isaiah 53, talking about the lamb being led to the slaughter. The suffering servant is going to die. He's going, hey, wait a minute. Is this prophet, is this a prophecy? Or is he talking about himself? What I love is, it says, then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. I love it. So we don't know exactly what Philip said, but what we know happens next seems to be built on a lot of content that Philip unraveled to him. Most commentators and theologians would say that the content of what he said there is as he's sharing the gospel of Jesus, he talks about he talks about the cross, and he talks about the resurrection, and he talks about what's happening in the early church and the baptisms that people have had already to this point. So much so that the man is inspired, the man is moved. And look at verse 38, it says, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Now, what's interesting here is that there's, depending on the archaeology here, there's maybe one or two spots on the road where there's even any water at all. So how perfect is it that in God's grace, in God's plan, in God's timing, that as he's reaching that point of decision, yes, I want to follow Jesus, yes, I want to be baptized, wow, look right there, there's water. Isn't it beautiful to see how God orchestrates this plan down to the second? His pursuit of this man through the willingness of Philip to be the vessel and to show up and share his story and share the gospel with someone. Now here's where the story gets weird. 
Any of you who love sci-fi, remember that show Quantum Leap back in the day with Scott Bakula? Anyone remember that show? Okay, awesome. I don't think that's gotten a reboot yet, but it's probably coming soon with the original cast. Who knows? Um, Anyway, here's our Quantum Leap moment in Scripture because it says that Philip takes the Ethiopian eunuch down under the water, and as he's coming up out of the water, check this out, verse 39, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus. Oh, I like to think of him still being soaking wet. I just think that'd be a cool part of the story. Doesn't mention that, but that's awesome. He's just standing in the middle of a Starbucks. Like, hey, how did I get here? Welcome. Where am I? You're in Azotus. Okay, let me tell you about Jesus. Because that's what happened. He appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So wherever he found himself, wherever he teleported to, wherever he quantum leapt into— He just would be like, well, here's where God has me. I'm going to talk about Jesus. Every moment that existed for him, he stepped into it. He saw it as ordained by God in a beautiful way. Azotus is 25 miles from where he was, 25 miles north. Here's what's beautiful. Whatever happened to that Ethiopian eunuch? So he continues on rejoicing, gets to his home country of Ethiopia, and there's great church history that exists and, and the church in Ethiopia points to this man as their founder. So that he came back and shared the good news of Jesus and a church was started. And there's an incredible Christian tradition that exists to this day because of this person. Now here's what's really beautiful. Is that in Acts 1.8 it says, You'll receive power when, your Holy Spirit, when my Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Which is where Acts 8 starts. They're preaching the gospel in Jerusalem. And then... It says to Judea. Well, it says that as they left Jerusalem, they preached in Judea. And then in Samaria, which is where Philip went first. He preached the gospel in Samaria. And then it says to the end of the earth. What's beautiful about this story is that Ethiopia at that time was known in ancient literature as Cush was another name for Ethiopia at that time. And Cush in the ancient world was known by everyone as literally the end of the earth. So in this one story, we've got this microcosm, this mini fulfillment of all of Acts 1-8, all through the faithfulness of one man by the name of Philip. I love this story because he saw these moments that were waiting for him and he was not afraid to step into them. 1 Peter 3:15 says, but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. And always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Do you see how Philip lived this out? Jesus was his king. So he went wherever he was told to go and he was faithful in those moments. For you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he's prepared in advance for you to do. Do you see how Philip lived with his eyes wide open waiting for the nudges, waiting for the moments and stepped into them boldly? So we have this 2002 Silver Honda Accord LE, I think. Some kind of, I think it had a fin, which made it cooler. And each day I was praying and saying, God, open my eyes, show me today what you want me to do with this. And so 
on this one particular day, a 20-something girl and her fiancé came in, and I was going to perform their wedding ceremony in a few weeks. And uh, she came in my, they came in the office and just making conversation. I was like, so how have you guys been doing? What's been going on lately? And she just broke immediately, which is not usually the answer to that question. Uh, so she had no mask on at all. She, she was the Mastermind series way ahead of her time. Anyway, she broke and just started to cry. I was like, it's been so hard. So many things are going wrong. I don't know what to do. You know, I got to get to this job. And we've been borrowing his grandmother's car, but now she's coming back from vacation and she needs it back. And we have no idea what we're going to do for a car. So we're just praying and asking God. And I just started to smile, which is probably super creepy, <laughs> I think. She's like, I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Let's finish up this meeting so I can get to lunch. No, I don't know why I was smiling, but I think because I knew what I was about to say to her. And I cracked open the blinds because it was sitting in the parking lot because I drove it that day. I was like, actually, I just want to tell you something. Two things you need to know. Number one, God loves you. And number two, he sees you. And they're like, okay. I was like, you see that car outside? It's yours. And it was like, then it was like, uh, like a scene out of Oprah's favorite things episode, you know, where it's like there was crying and screaming and, and things were happening. And the guy's like, what, what, what are you, what? He's standing up and pointing at me and she's, it was crazy. And I'm just telling you, like, it wasn't because of how generous I am. It was like, I just played the next part. I just stepped into the next moment. And I'm telling you right now, however many miles they got out of that vehicle, maybe it's still on the road. Who knows? This was a couple years ago. But I can tell you the joy that I got out of being a part of God's plan and obeying the nudge and just doing the next thing he laid in front of me is far greater than anything they could have gotten from that, I promise you. This is the God we serve, a God who creates nudges, a God who creates moments and says, will you step into it? Because you know what I think of when I think of the story about Philip? I think of all the people that went around Samaria and missed what God had waiting for them there. How many of us take the long way around the moments that we see because we don't want to engage with it? And I can tell you nine times out of ten, I'm pretty sure I go around Samaria. I lived in Detroit for a season, and when I first got there, man, I was just stepping into those moments of need. And after a while, I got really callous to people. And I'm just telling all of us here today, when we step into the moments that God creates for us, when we obey his nudge, beautiful things can happen. Things that are beyond helping someone with their transportation. What if, what if the nudge is to go help stop an evil across the globe? What if the nudge is to stop human trafficking or be a part of that? Well, the story I want to show you right now is about a man by the name of Ryan who felt this nudge to go on a trip to be part of the fight against human trafficking in Nepal. I'm inspired by this story, and I know you will be too. at the border, it's hard to describe it, but I've told people it, it was very apocalyptic in a way. It was extremely hot, probably close to 100 degrees. There seemed to be dust everywhere. The air just felt thicker. There was cars and buses and big vehicles along the side of the road. One of the first things that we saw was the outpost, I guess I'll call it, that Ramesh sets up. These girls work out of there where they 
stand at the border, uh, standing out in the hot sun the entire time. It was hard to put into words what I thought just looking at these girls and it almost seemed angelic. Like I felt like I was looking at true angels standing in the road and you could feel like the good and evil colliding in the place. Human trafficking is a big issue in the country of Nepal. Each year, about 30 to 35,000 girls are taken away from the country of Nepal, uh, primarily to India and then from India to other destinations to Middle East, as far as to African continent. So these girls are taken and uh, they've been abused. Uh, they've been tortured. So many of them even lose their life. We work along with the government of Nepal. What we are looking is that are they genuine? Whether they have been deceived or not, whether they've been brought by somebody or forcefully or not. Within five minutes of us being there, two girls were rescued. One of the staff members comes over with these girls and they're hysterically crying, one girl faints. And the way I describe it to people, this girl who had just been pulled out of this, just rescued from being sold into a brothel, was looking at us and cowering behind the staff member. Uh, it just reminded me of a dog who's been beaten and that hides behind a piece of furniture. It was a very, very hard scene for a lot of the guys to take in. I think I had a little bit of a different take than some of the other guys I spoke to because I felt the scene and what happened actually be very encouraging. And in that border, at that time, those girls were there to save those other girls. Each and every time when we suspect something, we take them to the police and for further investigations. And once the investigation is done, we bring them to our emergency shelters. Sometimes this also situation might happen is that it is a society based on shame and honor. When everything of honor goes down and become a shameful object for them, they hesitate to receive their daughter back or they even deny to receive their daughter back. In that situations, we take them to our safe houses. So when we take them to our safe houses, we call them our daughters. And these our daughters would be able to be counseled, they would be talked about the hope, and they would be provided unconditional love, and they would be provided an opportunity to grow. My wife and I at the time were talking about having a third. She was feeling nudged by God to, to have a third. and wanted to be supportive of that. So I took a week to think about it and sent an email. I can't say yes to this trip without it feeling like a no to my family, so I have to say no. My wife's partner had given me this book and it's from Bob Goff, it's called Love Does. And I get into chapter eight of the book and it's talking about God using broken people and stepping into circumstances. And of course, Nepal's in the back of my head gnawing at me a little bit. And I get to chapter nine. And chapter nine of the book, I saw a bookmark. And it starts by saying, I used to think that you had to be special for God to use you, but now I know you simply need to say yes. And so I'm reading that chapter thinking, oh, is he speaking to me? And then that chapter ends with, so the next time God asks you to do something that is completely inexplicable, something you're sure is a prank because it requires a decision or courage that's way above your pay grade, something that might even save lives, say yes. After I read that, I thought, I have no choice. 
So I immediately called my wife into the room and said, I have to go to Nepal. And thankfully, I had the most supportive wife. And she said, if you feel you have to go, then you have to go. On the second trip, there was a girl in particular who really taught me, I think, something. And while we were cooking the meals, each guy had assigned a task, and uh, mine was helping this girl crush some peanuts using the bottom of a cup. And she would sit there and grind these peanuts, and I would say, okay, let me give you a break, and she'd say, no, 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 and she would do it for 10 minutes, refusing my insistence to step in and help her. And then finally she'd say, okay, you, you can go now. And I would do it for about two minutes. And then she would take the cup back, not even asking me, and say, okay, okay, you rest. And that's how it went for about an hour. You know, I would just encourage her with, you're doing great. Ask her about her family, ask her what she liked to do. The night culminates with us coming together for a worship service. And a couple of the girls gave testimony. It ends with kind of a goodbye. And the girl I was working with the entire time gets up to say goodbye. And she reads this letter she had drafted. And she talks about how just us being there made her feel loved and made her feel loved for the first time in her life. When everyone was done, um, I was trying to get everyone out of the room and, and try to get everyone back on the bus to, to go back where we were staying. But I'm outside waiting for some of the guys and one of the guys on our team came out and said, uh, this girl, she wanted to, she was looking for you. She wanted to say goodbye. She said, Ryan, just so you know, I, I was thinking about you um, and everything I said. And that really broke me because just, I didn't think I did anything. Um, standing, I just stood next to her. I just said, you're doing a great job. And just the simple act of telling them that they're important and valuable uh, and worth something. We, we have no idea what that means to them. So our daughters, who once was a victim, who later became a survivor, now she is a daughter. Daughter is now equipped with a skill. Daughter is now equipped with a love and passion in her heart. Daughter is equipped with a full of hope in her life. Now goes back to the society to change the society. In 12 years' time, we have stabbed 105,000 daughters across the border of Nepal and India. We have 10,000 daughters gone through our safe home programs back to their homes. There have been times in reflecting on the trips that I think about where my life would be had I said no. Large parts of my life would be the same. I'd still be working where I'm working. I'd still have my family. But I think my relationship with God would probably be the most impacted. I don't think I'd be as close with God. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably what I gained the most, so that's what I had the most to lose by saying no. When God presents these opportunities, these, when he gives us these nudges, he's not doing it because he needs you to step into it. He's doing it because he wants to give you something. And I just look at my experience and think of what a gift I received by following that nudge and what God gave me through the experience. God obviously speaks. He is speaking all the time. And God gave me the passion to listen to him and obey him. In obedience, 
not a delay obedience. If I know God is speaking, let's obey right then. Now it is a time for us to stand up and take an action. How long are we gonna see and wait our daughters comes in a coffin? How long are we gonna wait and see someone will come and change it? How long are we gonna wait the situation will be improved by itself? What is the role of a man? So this is a call to wake up the men in Nepal or men in the global area. Wake up, let's do something to eradicate this injustice from the face of the earth. And we can do it because God is with us. One of the easiest things to do in life is to be passive, to just watch others do something and not do anything ourselves. And you just watched two men, Ramesh and Ryan, who refuse to be passive. They said, I have to move, I have to act, I have to defend those that need defense. And here's the amazing thing, you and I can be Ryan and Ramesh's. We can hear from God and we can move and defend others. And it's time to step up and say, God, what are you calling us to do and make a difference? And the cool part is all of us get to be a part of the story you just watched. Think about this. When you and I make a year-end Christmas gift to Kensington, we are saving people's lives, saving girls' lives at the border stations in Nepal. Have you ever thought of that? You are partnering to literally change the lives and legacies of people we'll never meet simply by saying, okay, God, I'm going to step out and give, and I want to be a part of the story, and you get to be a part of the story. So I invite you to join Ann and I as we give, and we will change lives together. I love that story. It's, as Ramesh was talking, it felt like they were interviewing Philip a little bit, didn't it? He's like, it's not delayed obedience, it's right then. Go to this desert road. Okay, I'm going. There was no, well, I'm not sure. Let me check my, it's just action. What a privilege we have to, to be connected to people like Ramesh and his fight against human trafficking in Nepal. I think also about the opportunity we have to bring clean water to the Pokot in Kenya, that we are able to help build house churches uh, for the persecuted Christians in Afghanistan. When you think about all the things we have going around the world, I, I, I love thinking of the impact that can be had in Cuba when we're able to distribute Bibles. And even locally when we're able to pay bills, critical bills for local families within our own community and outside of it who have nowhere else to turn. They have nowhere else to turn to. So maybe today as you're sitting here, there were lots of nudges happening in your heart. I don't know exactly what they are. I can tell you one big one, that, as Dave said at the end, that we can all be a part of is, is the nudge to be generous, the nudge to give, the nudge to, to make a year-end gift to be a part of that story. Some of you got a nudge to go to Nepal. I know Rick and others here, if you've been to Nepal on one of these trips, can you just raise your hand for us, several in this service? Fantastic. Yeah, awesome. And you've been able to be able to go over there and see this firsthand 
Is it moving to be there and see this in action? I mean, life-changing, right? Yeah. So not all of us are able to go, but all of us can do something. We can pray, we can give, we can be a part of what God's doing around the globe. So I just want to encourage you um, to consider giving a year-end gift to Kensington as we fund these sort of projects around the globe. As we wrap up our day, I just want to encourage each one of us to see yourself in the story. See yourself in the story walk through today. Maybe you are a Philip and you're feeling this nudge and you know that when you go home, you need to have a hard conversation. That when you go to your job tomorrow, there's a friend who's been hinting and asking questions and you need to engage. Or maybe for you today, you realize you're the Ethiopian eunuch. That there is a God who has been pursuing you through extraordinary means. That God keeps sending people to you over and over and over again and pursuing you. And you realize, my goodness, this is not coincidence. This is not happenstance. This is a God who wants relationship with me, who keeps pursuing me. Or maybe for you, you realize you've been walking around a situation in which you need to engage. May we run out of here today on fire for the one who died for us, gave his life to us. Maybe run into the moments that are waiting for you. Isn't it encouraging to think that there's stuff waiting for you that you've been designed to do? So why don't we all stand up together as we leave today? Uh, there's, there's two quick things I want to encourage you in as a family. They said this earlier, we've got a couple of opportunities where we actually create things for you to do. This 12 days of moving out, there's a list of things you can do. As a family or just as a, as a person here, visit an elderly neighbor, choose a day to serve one another, offer to babysit free for a young couple or a single parent who needs a night out, or your pastor's family. Just kidding. That was a total joke. Do not do that. Uh, clean up a neighbor's yard, rake leaves or shovel snow. Here's a list of things you can do. They're waiting you, those moments. And then we have these family advent calendars. When you go down to get your kids at K-Kids, grab one of these and walk through them as a family. There are moments here to step into. Can you imagine if we all did even one thing this month to encourage the world around us, what the impact would be? If you felt a strong nudge today and you realize, boy, I'm the guy in the chariot. I'm the Ethiopian court official. Our prayer team's going to be down front. They'd love to pray with you today. Don't let today go by. Don't look past the unbelievable moments that you can't explain. See, there's a God who's pursued you. And as you leave today, let's go out not walking into the rainy day that it is. Let's be sent out into the world knowing God has a future and a plan for each one of us that you're not alone. Thanks for being here. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.